and open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. It's a long section of Scripture we're going to cover today, so hang on. And uh, But I want to read, just before we begin, I'm going to read just uh, what we read last week, part of it, 12 to 14. And then the rest will be in connection with the message itself. So Genesis 24, verse 12, this is the Word of God. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Lord, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. And join me. The grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that we have before us this morning the very word of God that is true and is certain. Father, may your spirit give us understanding of what you're saying to us about your provision for us in Jesus Christ. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. David and Ann Hughes stood on the dock with their two sons and their oldest daughter and their youngest daughter, some of their grandchildren, to wave goodbye to their middle daughter, Joan, who was setting sail from Wales to the United States. And there, Joan anticipated she would be rejoined with her childhood sweetheart and fiancé, James Harris, who had left two years before in 1883 to prepare a place for them to live, to seek their fortune in this country. He promised a home to live in, complete with a rocking chair. And Joan waited patiently, and she stayed faithful to James for two years. Finally, he sent for Joan, and she left her family, she left her homeland, she left everything familiar that she knew for a life, a new life, thousands of miles away. Now, today's text is another such love story. It's a love story on several levels. First, a woman traveling over 400 miles to meet a man that she's going to marry. Second, the story of a servant's love for God, learning God's will, as we saw last week, and now this week, doing that will. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, do my will. It's also a story about God's love for us, about God providing a wife for Isaac that in order one day the Messiah might be born his descendant. So what did we see last week? We saw that to know God's will begins with the desire, first of all, to do God's will. Walking by faith that God will and does show us that will, resolving to obey what he shows us. And praying then that he will guide us. And all that's happened in the story. Now we wait with great anticipation as Abraham's servant uh, discovers God's will and does it. And as spectators, as we sort of sit back and watch, uh, what I particularly want us to notice is that God, by his providence, is, is guiding every step of the way. So to see and learn from Abraham's servant step by step discovering God's will in doing it, let's go to the text. First, I just want you to notice the diligent preparation uh, the servant makes to help discover God's will. Verse 10, then the servant took ten of his master's camels 
and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. Now we might sort of be uh, thinking just to sort of breeze past that, uh, but it's significant that the servant takes ten camels. Camels were not widely used in the Middle East until some 800 years after Abraham. And so if you had a camel in Abraham's day, well, you were a wealthy man. If you had ten camels, you were even wealthier. And if your servant has ten and he leaves a bunch behind with the master, well, it's a sign of Abraham's great wealth. Uh, Remember, the servant has got to convince this this woman to to leave and travel some 400 miles to, to a place she's never been to meet a man she's never met and to get married. And so the message the servant communicates is, you will be provided for. And then Moses very briefly describes his journey. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. So we've already read what he did when he got there. He prayed. We said last week he's probably been praying the whole way. It's a very specific prayer that the woman will respond to his request for water by giving it to him and then offering to water his camels. So let's watch God provide direction. Verse 15, he reveals his will. Before he finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So Rebecca shows up, the same Rebecca that Moses skillfully mentioned back in chapter 22. We've been watching for. And then she does just what the servant prayed for. And he gazes in silence. She's kind to strangers. She's courteous. Her servant's heart is on full display here as she engages in uh, an exhausting task, watering ten camels. Now, camels, if they've been in the desert, can drink as much as 25 gallons of water. All right? Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So here's, here's a math problem. By the way, math problems do have right answers. It's not how you feel about the answer. They have right answers. Uh, and you need to know math. You need to know it to function fully in God's world and discover that world completely. All right. So do the math. 10 times 25 equals... Two. Very good. All right. Uh, the servant had made an extraordinary request, and Rebecca carries it out, literally. Now, typically, a water jar on that day was about three gallons. Do the math, 250 gallons of water with a three-gallon jar. Think about what Rebecca did. And then there's the additional detail as well, that she's beautiful. But I want you to notice physical appearance was never part of the criteria the servant laid down. It makes us pause to ask, what does one look for in a husband or a wife? 
Chardonnay, we said last week, first of all, whether or not they're a believer. That has to be the case for us. But is the fruit of the Spirit on display? No, is the person kind? Does he or she have a servant's heart? And by the way, I remember after a talk I had with my parents when I was about 11, somehow I got the idea I had to marry a Presbyterian. All right? Um, but I will tell you, in marriage, a theological alliance is a great thing. All right? Uh, Sarah's real beauty, remember, we were told later in 1 Peter 3 is what? It's inward. A beauty that still shined when she was 89 years old. So do not make your husband and wife choice based on physical beauty. Rather, ask God to cause you to see the true beauty of your spouse, and that's the inward beauty. All right, after she stops, the servant's been watching in stunned silence, and he rewards Rebecca. (coughs) When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. Now, I grant you that... uh, that Rebecca's done extraordinary work. But understand the value of what the servant brings out. This is a year's wages for a typical worker in that day. She gets a year's wages for what she did in one day. Again, the servant's communicating what? He comes from somebody of great wealth. So then comes the key question. Now, we used to call it the $64,000 question, but I guess that's not much anymore. But anyway, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. God has provided the direction requested for. He's made his will clear. I mean, can you imagine the excitement of the servant at this moment? He's found the one. He's found in his first try the woman that God has chosen to be Isaac's wife. She's not only a hard worker. She's not only kind. She's family. She's Abraham's brother's granddaughter. Abraham's great niece. So how does the servant respond? Verse 26 The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. All right. Imagine he gives gives Rachel the stuff, rather Rebecca the stuff, and then what? He just drops to the ground in humility and worships. He prays openly. He praises God for his steadfast love, his covenant love, literally, his faithfulness. And he sees clearly God's answered his prayer. God's led him here. And Rebecca, for her part, certainly would have recognized the name of Abraham as he prayed. As one writer put it, she'd grown up hearing Abraham's name. He was the brother who'd gone off somewhere else. Now his servant is here before her. So she runs to tell the family. Now the servant hears what people long to hear. That is the confirmation of God's will from others. Just a long section we'll read. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's 
mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out, tore the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and he heard the words of Rebekah's sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, oh, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and the place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I've said what I have to say. And he said, speak on. So he said, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he's become great. He's given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, you shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife from my son. As I said to my master, perhaps a woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before I walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you'll be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you shall be free from my oath. And I came today to the spring and said, O oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you're prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord appointed for my master's son. Before I'd finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets in her arms. And then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave her a brother and her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. All right. Bethuel and Laban agree. She can marry Isaac. Go with you. Uh, let me say this about knowing God's will. When we uh, seek to know God's will, the fifth thing we should always look for is the confirmation of God's will from other people whom we trust. Others who can see that what we think is God's direction truly is God's direction for our lives. You know, sometimes we think we know what God's will is, and wisely we seek counsel. Uh, but sometimes when the counsel goes against it, we, we ignore it. We do what we want to do anyway. 
and disaster follows. When it comes to marriage, we need to be concerned that if, if we cannot find any believers who agree with us that we ought to marry, the one we're determined to marry, then we should not. Now, it's possible, I grant you, that we might be the only one that's right, but in all probability, others see the situation more clearly. They're not tied up with love the way we are. Uh, young people, let me just tell you, that means that your parents may have more wisdom than you think when it comes to whom you date and who you marry. Just remember that. So the servant's all set. He knows for certain now this is God's will. So what else is left? He's got to act on God's will. The desire to do God's will is fine and good and it's necessary. The faith that God will and direct us is wonderful. The resolve to obey is commendable. Praying for direction is admirable. Finding confirmation is laudable. But none of it means anything if we do not do God's will. Do it with anticipation. Do it with excitement. And do it now. Pick up the story. Last part of verse 54. When they rose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go away with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young woman, women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. So she said yes. I know it's an arranged marriage, but she had to agree at least to go 10 days early. Isaac will have to agree. And so the servant does God's will and takes her back on that camel journey of some 400 miles. I can imagine he told Rebecca story after story about Isaac about Abraham's pilgrimage and the long-awaited birth of Isaac, about what happened on the mountain of the Lord and just everything. So let's look then at the aftermath of doing God's will. Finally, you know, the moment arrives. You can almost hear, here comes the bride in the background, all right? Verse 62. Isaac had returned from Er Lahiroi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who's that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It's my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So what happens when we do God's will? What joy comes into our lives? Uh, the result of obeying God is God's will for, for us is joy. You see it here as Isaac and Rebecca get married. This entrance into the tent is the equivalent of the marriage ceremony we have today. 
It was a sign that they were now husband and wife. And then Moses gives us those words, and he loved her. Uh, Now, did he love her before that? Well, he didn't know her, all right? Uh, Let me just say, uh, when when you marry the person God wants you to marry, Uh, that's the place where love really finally grows. Yes, one makes the promise to love during the wedding ceremony. And it's interesting here that love follows marriage. The feeling follows the emotion. Uh, The fact uh, follows the fact. The joy follows obedience. They decide to love each other. And their love will grow in the context of mutual commitment in marriage. Friends, marriage is the fertile soil that God requires for love to grow. That eliminates any consideration of living together prior to marriage. Uh, Joan Hughes arrived in New York City. She took a train to Pittsburgh. She got into Pittsburgh about 3.30 that afternoon on September 23rd, 1885. And she was met at the train station by James and by his pastor. All right. By 4 p.m., they were married. A love story that went on for another 56 years till he died in 1941. Uh, Their love grew in the fertile soil of marriage and The CNBC family has some 19 direct descendants of theirs. So what about us? You know, today's a a great day to think about the benefits that come to us from belonging to Jesus Christ, uh, from this love story. And what God's done here is given us a tremendous picture of, of guiding in our lives. And what we need to understand is that God is just as interested in each one of our lives, in each one of our stories, as he is in the story of Isaac and Rebekah. He wants us to know how the promise of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 works out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Uh, see, then we can respond as the servant did. We can bow down and we can worship and praise and thank God for his loving guidance. That he's revealed his will that we might do it. Sometimes as believers our lives can be in chaos. We get confused. We're not sure what decisions we ought to make. What's God's will? What I would urge you in that case is to follow the directions in scripture we've looked at about finding his will. And if you're not yet a believer, uh, I tell you that that chaos can be addressed through knowing Jesus Christ. Now, that's not been the main emphasis today. But I would say if you've never trusted Christ, you're getting a sense of what you're missing. Respond to the offer he's made to you in Jesus. Take him at his word and, and believe that Jesus Christ died for you. And if you will, not only will eternal life be yours, but his guiding hand for each day we live. And if we take this story as a whole, go back to why did Abraham have such faith about how it would turn out? Well, he learned 
through his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, that the Lord will provide. And this is a love story about God's provision for Isaac and us. God provides Isaac's descendant for us, Jesus Christ, for our great need of salvation. And he provides for our daily needs and our lifetime needs. So today with the table of the Lord before us, we see God's love and we see the reminder, the Lord will provide. As it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So we see the cost of his love. And even as God provides a bride for Isaac, God provides direction in our lives. He provides a Savior from our sins. So we invite all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, members in good standing of an evangelical church, to, uh, to come to this table. Again, if you're not a believer, we're delighted you're here. But God's Word says for you not to, to take part in this meal. And we urge you to contemplate God's Word in John 3.16. And talk with us afterwards. Likewise, children not even examined by the session should not partake. And for those of us who are believers, we're called to, to recognize the body of Christ. It means we're called to recognize the price that Jesus paid for the forgiveness of our sins. This very much ties in with doing God's will. If I do not have the desire in my heart to do the will of God... Uh, if I want to do my will, and I'm doing it and not His, I'm not recognizing what Jesus did for me at the cross, and I should not come to the table. But if I desire to do God's will, I want to obey, and I need strength, and I need help, I need encouragement, I need assurance, then by all means, we come to this table, and we eat and we drink. Let me say to you watching at home that uh, we miss your participation with us here. Uh, But what we'd urge is that you do not have the elements for communion. Examine your heart. Examine your desires, your obedience uh, this morning. So let's just take a moment, look at our own hearts, confess our sins before holy God. Father, we confess that very often we we do not want to do your will. We want to do our will. We want to please ourselves. And for that, we ask forgiveness. We ask forgiveness for our disobedience, Father, for not doing the things we should and for doing the things we should not. We thank you, Father, that your word assures us that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins, that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, how grateful we are for what Christ has done for us. So, Father, thank you for the forgiveness that we have in him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.